This is the Stockton San Joaquin County Public Library. Learning another language has never been easier. Rosetta Stone has 30 different languages to choose from. Visit ssjcpl.org and start learning today. And welcome back to Dark Fascinations. I'm Brianna, and as always with me is Jody. And uh, Dark Fascinations, in case you're new, is a podcast where we explore fiction books and they're the true crimes that they're based on. Um, this month, uh, we read My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix, and it's not necessarily true, like one true crime person uh it is based on the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s um this book is really funny it is kind of gross it is uh one of those kind of gory gross horror novels but it's really good and it actually surprisingly has a very heart rending touching ending that you don't necessarily expect from a horror uh book it also has a really great (laughs) soundtrack available on Spotify if you want to listen and read at the same time. So Jody, would you give us a little rundown on the satanic panic? Yes. Uh, like I was uh, mentioning earlier to Brianna, there was it was really hard to find some good factual information. A lot of the articles were very biased one way or the other. So this is just going to be a very broad overview of the satanic panic Um, so basically the satanic panic was the moral scare or the or or conspiracy theory you could call it either thing in the 80s and essentially it led people to believe that there was a vast network of um devil worshipers hiding in plain sight all throughout every facet of society um they were supposedly indoctrinating children into the occult and often ritually abusing them and naturally, the media took off and ran with it um, without doing any kind of due diligence or um, intelligence, really. So it was the devil and the occult and all things related were already kind of popular in the 70s with um, from movies and books like The Exorcist and The Omen and Amityville Horror. And then with figures like Charles Manson, it ritualized evil kind of became a very real thing and so not so far-fetched. Um, to actually believe in. And so that just kind of paved the way for people to believe stories of the devil and demon and possession, um, which then set the stage for um, one of the, probably the most infamous books Michelle remembers, which is kind of was kicked off the satanic panic in the eighties where a psychiatrist um, detailed what he claimed was the true story of one of his patients um, who was an adult who underwent 600 hours of hypnosis to recall um, memories of being involved in a satanic cult as a child. And so that kind of just kicked everything off. Um, And it took off from there and there was lots of numerous, you know, stories and substantiated claims that kept that going. And then some of the most well-known well-known claims of the panic were that family-friendly companies were in league with Satan, um, such as McDonald's being a supporter of the Church of Satan and sending them money from families buying Happy Meals. Uh, another big one was Procter & Gamble, which is famous 
household products um, where they were saying that if you look at their logo, you could see 13 stars, which then that spread that that was the mark of the devil. And, you know, on and on it went when it was actually based on the 13 colonies, not the devil. Um, and then the panic spread into other areas such as all Halloween candy use poisoned. Um, there's um, people were seeing occult symbols hidden in logos and marketing ads. Kids toys like He-Man and Snake Mountain place that supposedly invoked demonic imagery because the kids could use a microphone to deepen their voices and pretend to be evil. Um, probably the big the game that took the biggest hit, though, was Dungeons and Dragons. Um, there even so much as um, a whole group formed um, to be against Dungeons and Dragons called Bad Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but that was even pushed forward more when a college student who was an avid player of the game disappeared and had a tragic end. It had nothing to do with the game or Satan, but, you know, that whole thing took on a life of its own. Um, but one of the most, what people probably remember most is what's called back masking, which is um, the notion that when certain songs are played backwards, it reveals subliminal messages, um, especially in rock music. Um, you probably hear lots of references in movies and TV shows and other books, and people even still talk about it today or make jokes about it today all the time. But even some bands like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, they were even sued for wrongful deaths um, for victims of suicide who happened to be fans of their music. But things like this went on and on. And while all these things seem ridiculous, um, it, the satanic panic did lead to some very serious and life-altering consequences um, that were tied to many crimes, but two of the most um, infamous probably are the Memphis Three and the McMartin preschool case. Um, I won't go over all the details of those cases because we could literally talk about those for hours on their own, um, but they are interesting and make for some um, interesting reading and research. Um, and then it just lasted as long as it did because of the media. Shocking, right? the media, um, even names such as Oprah and Geraldo devoted airtime to the satanic panic and did specials and it just kept perpetuating it. And then of course the horror industry, you know, rode the satanic wave all the way to the bank um, and then kept it going. And then eventually um, the satanic fears were ultimately debunked and the phenomenon kind of fizzled out. You know, and people, you know, it's brought up like in Stranger Things, you know, they've kind of brought mm -hmm. it back to the forefront now. So people Eddie are talking Munson. about it. Yeah, and his Hellfire Club and um which is, you know, basically Dungeons and Dragons. But they um mm -hmm. but yeah, so it's back back in the people's minds. And if you were alive in the eighties like I was, you may remember um some of these things and how crazy they were. But that's basically in a nutshell. But you can read about it. On your own, yeah. read all the different articles and in different perspectives on it and whatnot. There's a lot. I do find it interesting that um, Geraldo Rivera is one person <laughs> who actually issued a public apology for the role he played in creating the Satanic Panic um, with his special. <laughs> well, he's a horrible reporter. But again, due diligence, people. <laughs> but yeah, yes. well, it was on like a lot of different things. I think it was on um, what's that one guy with the white hair and the glasses? 
I think he even did a special and he was, oh, Phil Donahue. And he, I know he was a big name at the time too. I think, um, I think he had a special too. Yeah. I'm sure he did. There were a ton. I know 2020 did, Geraldo Rivera did, which is mentioned in this book that we're going to talk about, the Geraldo Rivera uh, thing. He also interviewed Ozzy Osbourne, which is interesting, <laughs> um, because uh, Black Sabbath well, is one, one of the bands um, that were believed to be satanic worshippers, and mostly like metal music, like Slayer and Megadeth. And bands like that were also supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, making the youth Satanists. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of their imagery on like their album covers and stuff um, didn't really help dissuading that notion. But yeah, didn't dispel. <laughs> no, no. This, but this like, moral like, panic. Like with anything else, the more you like try to, you know, keep your people away from it or kids away from it the more Mm. it's actually going to push the sales so yeah you know it didn't really do and i mean there were some no and there were some really severe consequences including all of those kids in the mcmartin case which was a preschool Mm -hmm. in canada like that was another person who has issued a public apology was one of the kids in the mcmartin case who was basically coached by his parents and and other people to lie um, and say horrific things against the mm-hmm. preschool employees who then had their entire lives upended. Yeah, and that case but, went on I mean, for years. It did. And, that you know, like, not only are the preschool like employees, yeah, not only are the preschool employees victims, but all of those kids who were coerced into mm-hmm. having all of these false memories are victims, too, for the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You There's... Like, there's a ton of cases that you could reference that was, you know, brought up, were tried to tie to satanic things. And, I mean, you could talk about it for hours. You really <laughs> it does make, could. It, makes, I mean, you... it makes for some riveting research, like, how people got to, like, that, like, how do you draw that conclusion? I mean, a lot of it is very interesting. I think um, you know. people were really looking for something to blame, and they were looking outside of their homes for something to blame mm-hmm. and that they settled on um satanism and the whole satanic panic yeah well a lot of times they're, yeah they're looking for some way to you know explain or not excuse but you know explain away evil acts and that's like an easy go-to i guess but you know the things like the the satanic toys and mm-hmm. um, crest uh, toothpaste, which makes an appearance <laughs> also in this book, has a link to Satanism because it has an inverted symbol yeah, on the, the toothpaste. The lo- yeah, yeah, the logos, the marketing logos, and the logos and ads and things, you know. Yeah, which people crazy. really thought, like they really thought that that mm-hmm. was like in in real life outside of this book that that was an actual tangible mm-hmm. piece of evidence. Well, yeah, they've had, like, even um, in a lot of those places, like, I know the founder of McDonald's had to go on talk shows and, like, you know, explain that, no, I don't give money to the Church of Satan and, you know, all this stuff. And Procter & Gamble had to issue a thing and then change their logo because people were just, you know, going crazy. And, you know, it took off life of its own. In a big way. 
perpetuated by the media as usual. So yeah, there's lots of interesting stuff. And a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the crimes and the cases are horrifying. They are. Well, especially like if you really deep dive into the McMartin preschool case, like the things that those little kids said happened to them are horrific. Yes. I, not only the media perpetrated the satanic panic, but psychiatrists, because like psychiatrists would tell, you know, tell parents to be like, are there Satanists in your preschool? Are they harming you? And kind mm-hmm. of making them and planting say, the seed. Yeah. yeah. Well, the same with like the um, the West Memphis Three. You know, they actually went to jail. They did because they were different in this very small conservative rural town in Alabama, and they listened to metal music and. You know, we're somewhat goth, didn't yeah, respect lost, the authorities. Yeah, and they lost years and years of their life in prison. Yeah. Almost half of their younger adulthood years they lost in prison. Mm-hmm. Like, this book is, is takes a, a much more lighthearted, kind of spoofy view of the satanic panic. But I do think, like Jody said, it is good to remember the the satanic panic had some really really just terrible lasting effects for a lot of people like we make fun of it yeah, now it wasn't jokes most, but yeah it wasn't just frivolous things or far fetched crazy things it was yeah really affected a lot of people's lives forever exactly but so the now book that is we good kinda, in that yes it's nostalgia the book yes yeah That's the book why I is liked it. Like peak nostalgia. Um, again, the playlist is great, especially if you love '80s music, because uh, they have some great ones. So now we <laughs> kind of have like the actual real story. We'll go into this kind of spoof horror comedy, shall we call it? <laughs> that also has some real lasting effects for different people too. Um, so it's not all spoof horror comedy it does go into some some really bad effects that people had from this very kind of narrowed in view of the satanic panic happening in one small town in one small community in one small friend group and all of the ripple effects it caused outside of this one small town's one small friend group to other people who weren't more tangentially connected so there is some there's serious notes as well. He does a good job though. It's riveting. Oh no, it is. I love all the nostalgia and I like the heart of it. And I like that it wasn't just some like ridiculous over the top um like spoof. Yeah. It was good. Highly entertaining. Interested to watch what? the show. Yeah, yeah there's a movie Paris on Amazon book. Prime. Yes, out now if you want to watch it. Um, if you do, let us know what you think. But we'll, we'll get into the book now. So, I mean, the two main, main protagonists of this book uh, are two friends, Abby and Gretchen. Uh, and we start with Abby and Gretchen all the way back in elementary school. Because they, <laughs> the Grady Hendrix really lays like a good foundation for this friendship. Um, so we start with Abby. Abby is the 
the one that we follow. She is the main, main protagonist because we know what she's thinking. We follow her as she's trying to help her friend and her friend group. Um, we don't necessarily get to see the thoughts of anybody but Abby. But so we see everything through Abby's perspective. Um, but the book starts with Abby in elementary school. She's kind of a goofy kid. She's obsessed with E.T. First nostalgia <laughs> reference. <laughs> her prized possession is an E.T. movie poster that her dad got her. Um, and she is having an E.T. themed birthday party at a roller rink. Tell me there's anything more 80s than that. That's amazing. Even she Keith even 80. had the roller skate the roller skate birthday invitations. And I'm pretty sure I may have had those at some point when I was in elementary school also, but it's, it's so cute. I love it. You know, the roller rink held a lot of power in the seventies, the eighties and the nineties. I also had a birthday party at a roller rink in the nineties. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I did not have roller rink invitations though. Ah, Missed opportunity. It's never too late. But it's Abby never too late. It's so did Jody. I mean, you gotta find a roller rink <laughs> <laughs> wherever they exist. So yeah, so Abby's having an ET themed birthday party at the local roller rink, and she has been practicing her roller skating tricks for months now to impress her classmates. So that because she doesn't really have any friends, which is sad. And she really wants to have friendships with her classmates. So she thinks that this is the way that she's going to get friends. If she's going to add this roller skating party, perform all of these tricks she's learned. And they're going to be so in awe of all of the stuff that she can do on roller skates that they'll want to be her friends. So she invites everybody in her class to her roller skating party. But... So does this kind of rich, mean girl, Margaret. She invites all of the classmates to her horse riding party. And horses are much cooler, apparently, than roller skating. So <laughs> none of the kids show up to Abby's party. And Abby's sitting at this party feeling so upset because they rent it out. You know how, I mean, I don't know if anybody... <laughs> below the age of 20 maybe I don't know if they still do this but like at roller rink places or I guess any big places for kids they have like a separate room that's dedicated for parties and so her parents had like rented out this whole separate room this roller skating rink and like full decked it out and all ET she has ET cake and everything and she's just sitting by herself um until Gretchen shows up with her mom and Gretchen's new to the school, and she does, doesn't really want to be there either. <laughs> but her mom, like, shoves <laughs> her in this little room and makes uh, Gretchen give Abby her present, which Abby then, like, begrudgingly opens, and she gave her a children's Bible, which Abby hates. <laughs> She's not too pleased with that. And so she kind of <laughs> runs into the bathroom and locks herself in because she's just, I mean, basically, the worst thing has ever happened to her in her very young life is, you know, all of these people who she wanted to be friends with didn't come to her party. They went to Margaret's party instead. And she's stuck here with this girl she doesn't know and thinks is weird who gave her a children's Bible. <laughs> so she's in this bathroom. <laughs> yeah, this really sets like the friendship tone. 
So she's in this bathroom crying. And Gretchen comes into this bathroom and just, like, slips under the stall and goes up. And Abby's like, this is not cool. You're not supposed to do this. Somebody else is in the bathroom. And Gretchen is explaining to her, like, how she didn't want to give her this Bible. But she thinks Margaret sucks because horses suck. And bonded. (laughs) That's all it takes. And they further kind of strengthen their bond of friendship uh, when they go out on the roller skating rink and Gretchen doesn't know how to skate. So Abby's skating with her. And in the background, just this is really the peak eighties of it is we got the beat playing in the background and uh, they, they feel like they're connected forever because they got the beat. And then uh <laughs> Abby's like pulling Gretchen along on these skates and then they both fall and Abby gets hit in the face <laughs> in the lip and has to go get stitches but the kid that she collided with and hit um that required her to get stitches is a cool he's like a cool boy in the school um so they go to school the next day and Abby's all like face full of stitches and Gretchen sticks up for her to Margaret. This cool kid comes in, gives Abby a can of Coke for her her lip, and these two are bonded for life. Bonded for life. I mention this because the song and the can of Coke come back into play later in this book. It's a very pivotal time. Also, it kind of really shows how pivotal these relationships are when you're younger and when you're growing up in school, how much your friends kind of influence the person you're going to be when you grow up, how you influence each other. Uh, And I think that's especially true for Abby and Gretchen. I think they really both influence the other and and how the other grows up because we really see them grow up. But the next time we see them, they're in high school. Surprise, surprise, they're all friends with Margaret now, the girl that was the mean girl in elementary school. They're friends with Margaret, and then their other friend, her name is Glee. Um, And they're kind of like, they go to this really wealthy high school called Abermarl Academy in South, is it South Carolina or North Carolina? Do you remember, Jody? I think it's South Carolina. I think they're in Charles. South Carolina. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so these four friends, they're in high school now. They're all grown up. They're not in elementary school anymore. They're friends now. Kind of. We'll find out more later. But they're friends now. (laughs) And On the surface, (laughs) they're friends. (laughs) On the surface. Except Abby and Gretchen are bonded for life. You can't see it, but I'm, like, crossing my fingers because they're that bad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so they have this plan so they're they've been trying for like months now to get lsd because they want to take lsd in the woods at margaret's estate um and they finally get it and gretchen is so scared to take it because she heard that what was the band jody the, oh. Was it the Sex Pistols? No, I don't think so. I don't remember off the top of my head. 
Was it Pink Floyd? I don't either, but there was like this, maybe. One of the members maybe. of Pink Floyd? It might have been one of the members of Pink Floyd. But like he tried, he had took LSD and then like basically fried his brain, which is another somewhat common myth, I think. Um, in addition to the satanic panic this book talks about. But she's really scared to take it and Abby and the other friends kind of like pressure her a little bit into taking it but she's terrified that she's gonna fry her brain or something terrible is gonna happen and sadly something terrible does happen she Gretchen ends up getting lost in the woods for hours after they take this LSD and she ends up like coming out of the woods she's fully naked she comes out of the woods and she's changed She's different. Um, and nobody can pinpoint why. At first, they think it's the effects of the LSD. Perhaps it's still in her brain or making her think things. But she's been talking to this guy she met at camp in the summer named Andy, who also took LSD and has been kind of trying to coach her through it, to get over it. But it's getting worse and worse and worse. And Abby is getting pretty concerned about Gretchen because it's getting really bad. And she's the only one that's concerned. As Jody said, Margaret and Glee are very surface level friends. They basically, they're all kind of about like social status. So very surface level friends. Um, but like, it's getting really bad for Gretchen. Like she's not bathing. She thinks that hands are touching her and scratching her all the time. She's hearing voices and hearing things. Um, she's like, there's like a really weird odor coming off her body that seems not natural. She's throwing up white vomit with black feathers in it. Like there's, there's th- things are happening to Gretchen and Abby <laughs> is like, something is going, something bad is happening. Something is not right. Um, and she's trying to help Gretchen. She just thinks that, it's all it must all be in Gretchen's mind. She she's not sure like what possibly could be the cause of what's happened to Gretchen. Um, but when she went by this old house when they were looking for Gretchen when they the night they took the LSD, she got these really weird vibes from this house back there. So keep that in the back of your brains, because Abby is. Because <laughs> she's thinking about it. <laughs> she's trying to think like what could possibly be, what could be happening to Gretchen? Like, what's what's up with Gretchen? Because Gretchen has also, they have this ritual every night where they call each other at 11.06. Um, every night, faithfully. And Gretchen hasn't been doing that. Because she's been talking to Andy instead. Um, and so something's happening like it's getting worse and worse and worse for Gretchen like Gretchen is looking worse and worse and worse every time Abby sees her and Gretchen's parents are asking Abby and being like hey you know what's happening with Gretchen what do you think's happening with with Gretchen um Gretchen should say super super wealthy Abby and her family not so wealthy it does come into play sadly because of societal stigmas later in this book but um so they're trying to ask Abby if she knows if anything is different about Gretchen if she's seeing somebody 
um, like what they're more concerned if Gretchen is seeing somebody than like what actually seems to be like happening with Gretchen. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, that, they even took her to the doctor to make sure she was still um, intact because um, yes, they wanted to see if she was, was lying about that. Yes, which was horrifying, especially for Gretchen, who is just so horrified and also just so unsure what's happening to her because um, she doesn't know what's happening to her either. Uh, nobody does. Nobody yeah, she's really not sleeping. She's not sleeping. Mm-hmm. She just she's so tired. She's not eating. Her face is like super broken out. Um, she's not, mm-hmm. not changing her clothes. She's repeating all her clothes. She's got severe mood swings. Yeah, everything's just totally different. But you think yeah, more people would have totally been concerned. Different. You think more people would have been concerned because it's such a drastic, such a drastic Change. difference. Yeah, mm-hmm. you but would I think, think only like one was it only like one teacher that even tried to talk to her and ask her if everything was okay. Yeah, but they think she's on drugs. That's always they the go-to. She's on right? drugs. Um, which that is something that we should say is kind of interspersed throughout the book are different photos and pamphlets and leaflets, and one of the first leaflets questionnaires you see is like which is true um but like how to tell if your kid's on drugs and it's like a checklist because we're kind of following Gretchen's whatever is happening to her we're following all of these symptoms that she's having um but yeah so the teachers think that she must be on drugs and then Abby thinks that something really bad must have happened to Gretchen when she was lost for all those hours in the woods and Abby thinks that Gretchen was raped and assaulted. And that's why she's, Gretchen's having all of these mood swings and, you know, not showering and having all of these like panic attacks and thinking things are happening to her because of the trauma of the assault that happened in the woods. And so Abby goes and tells the Langs that what she thinks happens. And they basically tell her like, no, like that's not possible. How, how dare you? How dare you use that? you know, those words in our house and that everybody kind of tells Abby the same thing. Like, how dare you? How dare you? You know, don't come around here anymore, basically. So they kind of kick her out. And then Gretchen, because everything she's going through, she's not being super great to Abby either. She's kind of freezing her out a little bit and saying some not not so nice things to everybody. She's not saying very nice things. And so she calls Abby after. So also, and it, I will say, because it's very jarring for me, too. And they do preface it that this was the 80s, but it's it's not OK in any sense. But there's a really, really bad trigger warning for people in addition to all the other trigger warnings. But there's a really, really, really bad student body thing they have at the school um, where students can be just, you know, they can have people be like masters and slaves. It's really, really, really bad. Um, But you, you sign up and it's heavy trigger warning. I was like very jarred. So Gretchen signs Abby up 
and then basically takes Abby and so Abby has like a bunch she has a lot of insecurities that she tries to coat over so she had some really really bad acne when she was a kid and so she uses heavy makeup as a way to make herself feel better um, about her physical appearance and make herself a bit more confident so it's kind of like her security blanket this makeup and Gretchen takes her into the bathroom and is going to force her to wash it off wash it all off and make her go into class with all of her makeup all of her armor off and Abby refuses to do it and that's kind of like the breaking point that's one that's the start of this kind of breaking point between Abby and Gretchen's friendship is Gretchen Abby really feels like Gretchen's taking advantage of her and she knows how important this makeup is to Abby and yet she's making her take it off and Abby's the only one that's been standing up for Gretchen so she feels really betrayed and so Gretchen calls Abby after this whole thing uh, at 11.06 the normal hour and Abby basically says like they're done that their friendship is done she's not she doesn't want to talk to her she's she's finished and this is when the biggest sh- shift in Gretchen starts. Because, you know, we've described Gretchen. She's she's not herself. And pretty much, like, the next day at school, Gretchen seems fine. Like, better than ever. She cut her hair. She looks great. She's glowing from within. She's, like, better than ever. But she's horrifically mean. And kind of now Abby is a somewhat of a social pariah because now that Gretchen has got this outward appearance thing better all of those kind of fair weather friends Margaret and Glee stick take back Gretchen back in but not Abby well then Margaret and with them but Margaret and Glee were also mad at Abby and had already stopped being friends with her because she accused Margaret's boyfriend of being the one to rape Gretchen. So she they did. Were already, yeah. 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 Cause she, he has this stupid band that she found on the creepy house that she had a, got a bad feeling of. And so she thought perhaps that they were there. Also Margaret's boyfriend Wallace is not, He's just a. He's just. A, he's a butthead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so those two surface friends had already kind of bailed on Abby. Yeah, and Gretchen, but now they've taken Gretchen, Gretchen. back because Gretchen looks. Yeah, well, because Gretchen also yeah. went off on Wallace, um, about many things, and Margaret was like, "No." And so, but now they've taken her back because she looks good. She looks great. She looks better than ever. And also Gretchen's parents are happy now because Gretchen looks better than ever. It doesn't really matter what's going on internally, but externally, Gretchen looks fine. At least to Margaret Glee and Gretchen's parents. Uh, And this starts the really hard time for Abby because now she's alone. She's completely alone. and. It seems like Gretchen is somewhat turning everybody against her. So she stays alone. And Abby starts breaking out really bad again, um, which makes her feel even worse than she did before. 
Uh, we should also say Abby kind of just has a hard time in general. Like her parents are having a really, really hard time. Her dad lost his job. Her mom's working like two or three jobs. So she's never home. Nobody's really home. And so anything that Abby gets, she pays for herself. She has her own job. Um, so she already has it kind of rough and it gets rougher for Abby. Uh, especially because her best friend in the whole world, like the person that she can rely on and depend on and looks to the most, has seemingly forsaken her. And they did have that really big break in their friendship when Gretchen was trying to force Abby to remove her makeup. But there's still like a love there because, and I feel like that's true. Like, you know, those friends that you have in elementary school through high school. Like, there's always, like, a remaining, especially if you stuck together, you know, there's always, like, a remaining bond there just because you've seen each other through all of your different phases. Uh, like, it, it's more of, like, it's more than a friendship bond. It's more like a familial bond, I feel, you know, if you, if you have those friends that just stick with you. And that's Abby and Gretchen. And so there's still this, like, familial bond because they were – they were as close as sisters. Like they, they were so, so close. They're planning their lives together. So Abby's not, she's still like not really ready to give up on Gretchen and give up on their friendship. Even though Gretchen has done some really horrific things to Abby, she's not ready yet. She also has been getting some calls still from Gretchen at 1106 that are like kind of like pleas for help a little bit. It happens more towards the end, but she's getting some. She's not ready to give up on Gretchen. And uh, so Gretchen has started to, quote unquote, help people with the <laughs> things that they need. Uh, <laughs> severe quotes. So <laughs> Margaret's always looking to lose weight to be the ideal body type of the 80s, right? She's always looking to lose weight. Um, so Gretchen gives her these, she says they're German shakes that her mom got that she no longer wants. And she, she's been giving them to Margaret as like a food supplement. And you'll see in the book too, they have like Margaret, like little snippets from Margaret's food journals. Um, so Margaret's <laughs> basically eating nothing, like basically nothing. She's eating like some carrots, some apple slices couple grapes and like a bunch of these milkshakes um so not a lot glee is in love with father morgan one of their teachers at Abermarl academy and gretchen gets glee into his like teen club to kind of give her what she wants it's it's not it's not going at first it's going at first it's going okay at first at first, everything go is going okay, and these people are getting what they want until it doesn't go okay anymore. <laughs> but at first, it's going okay. Uh, but Gretchen has, like, this pretty big mean streak that seemingly only Abby notices. And only Abby notices this entire one stick 180 of her personality. Like, now she's the very stereotypical rich popular girl she's like a heather basically mm -hmm. 
from the movie The Heathers. Like, she's like a Heather now, which is probably the point. Like, there's so <laughs> many different references, references to 80s movies yeah. and television and music. So it probably is a reference to The Heathers. Because they kind of are. Like, Margaret Glee mm-hmm. and Gretchen have a very, like, Heathers vibe about them. Abby is really the only one that notices. And then they have this assembly. Uh, and this this assembly is really kind of what kickstarts this satanic panic in this small small friend group, small high school, small community, um, where it's called like the Brothers Lemon. But they're this <laughs> they're they're funny, but they're this Christian family group who goes around to different uh, schools talking about, you know, God and the power of God. But their shtick is that they're all bodybuilders. So they're like, the power of God gives them the strength to do all these things, like lift these logs and like do all this stuff. And they're talking about satanic possession. And one of the members, Christian Lemon, looks directly at Gretchen and it's like there's a demon possessing you but then it's it, like nobody takes it seriously and he like mm-hmm. immediately moves on except for Abby Abby is like maybe this will connect the dots maybe maybe mm-hmm. he's seeing something that nobody else is seeing and that's why Gretchen is so different because of what happened that night in the woods so she kind of goes over and talks to him Christian Lemon about Gretchen. She tries a couple times to talk to him about that what he meant demon in Gretchen. Like he um and he says he has it's not perception, but he has a specific word that he has that he can see demons and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was though. It's not perception though. Top of my head. Yeah. But well, anyway, she... so he is I was gonna like I was gonna look for that word because now it's gonna bother me, but go ahead. <laughs> I don't well you you Google and let me know. But he it's like he can see he has this special power that lets him see demons. And so does his older brother. He's also the baby uh of this brother group, but he's like the buffest. The buffest. He is the buffest. And when they talk together, it's kinda of, like, he's a spoof of himself, kind of. Like, he, he, they just correlate all of their faith in basically into bodybuilding. Like, they're interchangeable to this group of brothers. But he's trying to explain why there might be a demon inside of Gretchen. Like, why he, because he can see demons. Because he has this supernatural ability to do so. Um, and Abby's like, mm, I don't know. That seems weird. And then I think one of the linchpins for Abby to kind of make her think maybe it's true is this is when the actual like satanic panic part starts happening. And so they go on this bus. They're going to this gross anatomy lab to look at cadavers for their science class. Uh, but that's they're going to a morgue basically it's like the 10th grade excursion everybody talks about it in the school and how gross it is but they do it and so um they're going to the science lab and there's a bunch of kids on the bus 
talking about Satanism and talking about, I mean, they talked about it before, like Glee had talked about the Crest toothpaste being satanic. So there's already been mention of the satanic panic happening, but this is like what kind of the switch flips in Abby um, is a girl on the bus is talking about the Geraldo Rivera interview and how there are Satanists everywhere. And like possession is like a common thing. Like it's really happening out there. And, you know, all of these people are being tortured in horrible ways. And it's like they're Satanists everywhere, basically. Like they're your best friends could be a Satanist and you don't know. And so Abby's like, well, maybe there's something to what Christian Lemon was saying. Uh, maybe there's there is something to that and maybe she should explore it. And so she kind of starts, she kind of puts all her eggs in the satanic basket. Like, she, this is, this is the theory. And this is, this must be the case. Um, and she's, she goes to um, the, what's he called the general? The like the principal. The major. major. Uh, yeah, he's, so he's like the principal of this academy. And he basically told her that he needs to stop. Well, also the Langs called the school and that Gretchen needs to like cease all contact with Abby needs to cease all contact with Gretchen or because Abby's a scholarship student in this school. She gets straight A's. She's really good. But he says anything can change. So he basically threatens her that if she doesn't stop, um, she's going to get expelled. The Langs are upset with that. Because she did tell them that she gave Gretchen LSD. That's how it all. That was the start. So they're blaming her for that. Yeah. And so then they told him that she's, yeah. you know, dealing drugs. And so, so it just all went bad for Abby because she took the blame did. for the well, LSD. She she did because when Abby went to talk to the Langs about her fear that something really bad happened to Gretchen in the woods she thought she was raped um she says all of that but then she does like Jody said she mentions that they took LSD that night and that's the only thing Lang's laser focus on is that it's Abby's fault that Gretchen changed it's all Abby's fault and it's Abby's fault and she's a drug dealer and they have to stay apart at all costs you know how how we said that Gretchen's been quote unquote helping people. Well, it's starting to go really bad. It's starting to go really, really bad for everybody. And when Abby met with Christian Lemon, he was saying that 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 that's what the demon is going to do is it's going to pretend to help people and their lives worse and target one specific person to isolate them. And that's kind of exactly what's happening. And Abby is the one that's being targeted and isolated. So the major is already on Abby's case because the Langs said that she's a drug dealer and the Langs pay a lot of money to the school and he wants that money to keep coming. And um, so the captain of the football team, good old Wallace, Margaret's boyfriend, the butthead, uh, <laughs> kind of he shows up late to a game and then gets kicked out of it. Because he's been drinking. And so they blame Abby for giving him the alcohol on campus, even though there's zero proof and she did not do it. 
uh, they're blaming her. And then Margaret starts losing a scary amount of weight. Like at first it was really good and she looked great. And now it's terrifying. Like it's, it's in the danger zone scenario. And she stops, she stops coming to school. And then Glee and her love of father Morgan goes really bad. And we find out after she calls Abby is that basically Gretchen wrote these love notes pretending to be Father Morgan to Glee, saying that they should run away together, which all culminated in Glee trying to jump off the clock tower at the school. Uh, And she almost did. And Father Morgan losing his job. So Gretchen's not, she's not helping people. She's hurting people. And she's doing it on purpose. And this really really it reinforces and I think because there's all this background talk of the satanic panic and there's all you know possessions everywhere satanists are everywhere it's like basically just reinforces it for Abby that Gretchen is possessed and she has to be possessed there's no other logical answer than that she is possessed so she is trying to get together with Christian Lemon again because he says that he can perform an but they have to get Gretchen alone. And he basically gives Abby GHB in order to give it to Gretchen so they can take her and get her someplace where they can be alone to perform this exorcism. And Abby is like at her wit's end at this point because she's so laser focused on it can only be possession because everything terrible is happening. All of these pieces seem to be lining up just like the media said they would and the satanic, about the satanic panic and possession. So she's like, this, this is the answer. This is how I'm going to save Gretchen. My best friend who I love like a sister, like this is how I'm going to save her. And she's trying to come up with a plan for how she can somehow give Gretchen this GHB and where they can go to perform this exorcism. And she basically everything bad has been happening to Abby. Like when they went to the growth anatomy lab, somebody stole um, a fetus from the lab, which again, just further feeds into that whole satanic panic messaging of sacrifices and terrible Mm -hmm. deeds. Gretchen plants this fetus at Abby's house. So they think Abby stole it. So Abby is facing perhaps expulsion. And this is like, I feel like perhaps Abby's mom is the only actual somewhat parent in this book. There are no real parents here. But she really stands up for Abby and she goes to the school and really like crushes the major Because it's a very small town. It seems like everybody knows each other in some capacity. But she really, like, grew up together, yeah. And basically tells him he's a glorified PE teacher. Well, because she, Abby gets accused of stealing something that belongs to Gretchen, which she actually did. She stole her, like, journal. Which she did. the journal, she did. But the journal is, like, kind of also solidifies in Abby's mind about the demon possession because of all the scribbles and ran and ramblings in this journal and it's 
further in its proof that she forged those letters from Father Morgan because there's her practicing Father Morgan's signature in mm-hmm. this book. And so she has, you know, proof that um, she's not the bad one, that it's actually Gretchen doing these things. And then, but you know, Gretchen finds out that she has this proof and Abby is about to turn over her proof. But then Gretchen plants the fetus in her house, steals the book back, beats up Abby also. Yes. Same time, and the things just go downhill from there. And I mean, she was Gretchen was the only she was trying to kill people. I mean, she was yeah, literally no, off she the rails. She, she was actively trying to kill Margaret. She wasn't just helping her, like getting her thin. She was poisoning her. No, no, no. <laughs> and I mean, we find out because um, Gretchen, because Abby goes to visit Margaret. She's trying to kind of like rally the troops like she's trying to really piece together what she thinks is happening and basically all of those milkshake things that Gretchen gave Margaret had tapeworm eggs in them so, so Margaret horrifying. has oh it's gross like this it is, is gross horrifying yeah, um, it was so good. It is really disgusting. <laughs> but yeah, she's got like a stomach full of tapeworms. Oh that so gets gross. one gets um forcibly excised from her mouth by the family dog. It's uh, disgusting. It Just so forewarning. It's yes, it's highly disturbing. <laughs> it is. Uh, um, but they had all thought that she had been poisoned. They didn't even think of tapeworms. Um, but at least Gretchen, at least Margaret is going to be okay because they figured it out. Because um, Abby was there, and Abby made Margaret's brother take her to the ER. Um, and Glee's family moves, but we know that Glee also accuses Gretchen, and Glee almost that like she almost committed suicide off the clock tower and died as well because of what Gretchen did. And her family just up and moves. Now, you know, Abby is facing all of these charges. She might get expelled from school. She's just at this point where she's like, well, if that's how it's going to go, then I'm just going to go all in. Yeah. We're going to perform this exorcism. I'm <laughs> all in. <laughs> what else has she got to lose? You know, she's already been in exactly. trouble with the law, about like to go to jail. Much. Yeah, about to be kicked out of school. She's got no friends. You know, been beat up by her best friend parents or even like what's happening you know why did you steal a fetus Uh, you know Mm -hmm. her parents don't know what to think was going on you know she's like might as well yeah so might as well contact brother lemon brother yeah (laughs) brother lemon (laughs) um and she does and so she has this ghb that she's gonna Try and get Gretchen to drink, and Gretchen loves Diet Coke. Um, so Abby's gonna put it, and she kind of breaks into Gretchen's house when the lines aren't there, and she knows they're not gonna be there because there's a big sports game happening. Um, but Gretchen's home alone, and she spikes this Diet Coke, and she kind of gets like this is also a major trigger warning bit of this book, but Gretchen. Basically murders the family dog, which was very, very, very heartbreaking. And but she does drink this Diet Coke that Abby gave her, 
And so she's now unconscious. And Abby and Brother Lemon can take her to an undisclosed location that is Gretchen's family's beach house. Um, because they know they only have a certain amount of time that they're going to be able to do this because the Langs and, like, this entire city's PD force are going to be looking for Abby. They go to this, they go to the beach house, they tie Gretchen down, and they're trying, Brother Lemon, Christian Lemon, is trying to perform this exorcism. And it's not going so well. It's not going so well. Um, And I think this is, like, it's an interesting point of the book because, They were saying the whole time how an exorcism has to be performed by like a true believer and a true spirit. Not Brother Lemon. (laughs) He is like wrapped with pride. Yes. Mm -hmm. Pure of heart. And let's point out that he has never performed an exorcism by himself before. No. (laughs) So he he is not a not not a professional. Not a professional. No. So he's no, winging he it. He does have notes. He has he's notes. winging it he with has, his notes. He's got notes and ideas, but he is winging it. He is winging it, sure. and he's not doing a good job. And Abby is really, really concerned because it seems like Gretchen is getting physically hurt, uh, and she is getting physically hurt. Like he's like rubbing salt all over her. He wants to pour scalding water in her throat. And Abby's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't sign up for her to get physically hurt. Like, that's not. But And then Brother Lemon is like, well, you have to, like, beat the body to beat the spirit, the demon out. You have to do all this. And Abby's like, I don't think so. I don't think so. And then they finally get, well, I should say this before. So, you know, do you remember when we said that Gretchen had been talking to her summer camp boyfriend, Andy, on the phone? Well, Abby called this number. He, she called Andy's number. And Andy answered and is like, I haven't talked to Gretchen since the summer. I haven't talked to her at all. So who has Gretchen been talking to? What is this mysterious number? So Abby calls this mystery number and hears Gretchen's voice. And she's saying, basically, like, help me. And it turns out that Gretchen has already named this demon that's inside of her. And Abby knows it. And its name is Andres, which is surprisingly close to Andy. So in this instance of Satanic Panic spoof book, there is actually a possession here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, Brother Lemon was trying to get the demon to name itself so he can have some power over this demon. And he's not, it's not going well. And he finally gets the demon to name itself and, like, present itself. Um, But he basically is not able to do the exorcism at all. And it's been a long time now. And he's just like, well, I need to go get my dad. Bye. (laughs) And just leaves the two, leaves Gretchen and Abby alone. This this whole time, too, the Gretchen slash Andres has been just taunting them and goading them and play acting, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, going in between like, oh, help me, save me. And then laughing and being like, I can't believe you bought that and all these things. And it's like, you can't, I'm not actually even really tied down here. You can't control me. Um, But I think when he 
when Abby got burned from the scalding water when she stopped him from pouring it down his throat and he saw that he burned mm-hmm. her and he got burned too. I think it kind of like stopped him like, hey, I actually don't know what I'm doing. I shouldn't be doing this. What am I doing? And then that's, you know, why he left. Now, should he have left her alone with this crazy person? No. Um. <laughs> I mean, I do think in some ways but that's at least why he, he left, but I also think it, he did stop, but I think it was somewhat of a pride thing too, because he really wanted to prove himself and he really wanted to prove that he can do this as well. Like his brothers and like his father and he cannot, he does not have that. And like the demon Andres was really like taunting him a lot and he was taking the bait. And I think when that happened, he realized what he had been doing and that he was in over his head. But he should not have left them alone together. So now it's at Abby and Gretchen and Andres, I guess. And they're all alone in this beach house. And Abby is like, you know what? I've come this far. I will not give up. Luckily, Brother Lemon left all his notes. So Abby takes up the mantle of this exorcism Mm -hmm. with Brother Lemon's notes and starts reading them. And like crazy things are happening it's like a hurricane is happening but just in this one location like crazy things start happening and it's not until um it's really not until Gretchen kind of for or not Gretchen until Abby kind of foregoes the script that Brother Lemon bought that this exorcism starts being somewhat successful um and I think that goes to the pure the pure apartness and also this incredible sisterly bond that Abby and Gretchen have is she starts invoking that bond of friendship that they have starting all the way back in elementary school in this roller rink and she's like really funny she's like in the name of we got the beat and Phil Collins and all of the stuff that these two girls love like all the things that have connected them and bonded them she starts bringing it up and um, Andres starts speaking in German, which basically in German, he was saying, like, you know, I'm going to kill everybody. You're all going to die. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, and and he, he finally gets exercised. And Gretchen comes back and is, like, her, finally herself again. Like, she's finally the Gretchen that, that Abby knows and loves. And that's when the cops show up. <laughs> and uh, the cops and Gretchen's parents, and they're like, arrest Abby. She's the cause of all of this. She is, you know, kidnapped our daughter and done all these terrible things to her. And the last thing that Abby sees of Gretchen is Gretchen, like, running for the cop car, yelling, yelling, at, you know, her name because she obviously it's in somewhat of a discombobulated state she's just been exercised uh she doesn't know why her best friend is being taken by a cop car and i mean abby's like literally given up almost everything for gretchen and then abby uh is potentially facing jail time for what she did for kidnapping gretchen from her home they also blame the um, murder of the dog on abby as well and you know, obviously the two are not allowed to see each other. But lo and behold, here comes Brother Lemon. He's back. 
<laughs> and he kind of, he, he like kind of saves the day this time. Like he realizes that he really misstepped and he needs to take ownership of his own mistake too. So he pleads guilty to everything. And so that Abby does not have to face any charges. And then you see kind of like little snippets of news articles in the book saying, you know, the trial and they couldn't really tie him to anything uh, that he was accused of other than his confession. Nobody believe it. They just couldn't really tie it to him at all. And so the trial didn't really go anywhere. He kind of he just got out on time served because they couldn't prove anything. And then we see that uh, Abby's family moves to New Jersey. Gretchen's family. Pretty much everybody that was part of this whole story in the first person sense moved away from this tiny South Carolina town, uh, Margaret and Glee included. And um, so Abby's just like really adrift now she's all alone in a new place in new jersey she's not allowed to leave the house because her parents don't really know what to believe other than that she kind of went off the rails and lo and behold gretchen's back and gretchen shows up in a very thelma and louise moment and her (laughs) mom stole in mercedes and they just kind of drive off um together so they can talk and kind of catch up. And Gretchen wants to apologize to Abby and like thank her for everything she did. She said she was still in there. She still saw and heard something of what happened when she was possessed. And that Abby was kind of what brought her back because of this bond that they share. Um, and eventually the Langs kind of relent and let them exchange letters and phone calls. Because it's clearly worse for the two of them to be apart. And the like the rest of the book goes by pretty fast. Um, just kind of about their growing up. And Abby comes back. The book starts with Brother Lemon dying. And then the end, Abby had come back to South Carolina and meets with Brother Lemon when he's now like a senior aerobics instructor. <laughs> <laughs> and she she meets with him and they talk and um, and then he ends up getting killed, sadly, in a uh, car. Well, he's helping somebody with their car, and he um, is involved in a hit and run and is killed. But it's, the rest of the book goes by pretty fast. It's just kind of a brief overview of what happens after this exorcism, which is the crux of the plot. But it's, you know, everything that happens afterwards. And in very true, like, friendship form, like, no, these these sisters are so closely bonded in school when they see each other every day, start to kind of drift apart a little bit as their own lives start to, to happen. And their phone calls and their emails get a little bit less and less frequent until there's like a major event and then they come back together. Um, but I think that's true of most most friendships. You know, your lives take you in different places. Doesn't mean you're not friends. You just don't talk as much anymore because you each have your own completely separate life. Whereas in school, your lives are so entwined. You see each other every day. It's very different when you get into adulthood, you know, jobs and families and those things differ. You tend to 
have a little bit more distance. Uh, also, physical distance. You don't live in the same town anymore. So, but then Abby um, gets divorced and they move back in together. And Gretchen helps Abby raise her daughter. Uh, and it's very sweet. The ending um, really got me. I, I was telling Jody before we started talking. And like I, re- I cried really hard <laughs> at the the end because it's it's it was like surprisingly sweet. Um, but basically, they friends for the rest of their lives. Oh no, it was very sweet and it was very sad. It was it brought a tear to my eye too. It was very heartwarming. And when you know they talk about because in the beginning of the book, when they they sneak out of the house to watch Haley's comet. And then they say, you know, do you think we'll see the next one? They're like, oh, we're going to be so old. And, you know, and then they talk about that later when they're old and how they didn't, you know, quite make it. Uh, But they would be friends until they would be friends. They would be friends until the next Haley's Comet. And um, they didn't, Mm. um, Abby didn't quite make it that to 90. But, you know, they made it into old age together and still friends. And that's, you know, the core mm-hmm. of the book is their friendship. Yeah, is their you know? friendship. And it's really. And um, in the end, Gretchen is the one to take care of Abby. It's really come full circle. And um, it's it's very sweet. It's very it is very heartwarming, their friendship. And, you know, that's how friendship's supposed to be. You should be able to leave and come back together or you should be able to call someone at those pivotal moments of your life and they show up, especially when, you know, no one else, you know, it didn't sound like Abby had, you know, anyone else really later in life either. She got divorced and her Mm -hmm. mom passed away and, you know, her dad wasn't really the best support system she could have had. No, Um, they never really had a very good relationship. Cause he, he was pretty much checked out um, from the beginning. But, you know, like when Abby says, um, when she, you know, steals her mom's car and she picks her, not Abby, sorry, Gretchen, when Gretchen steals her mom's car and goes to get Abby and she really just wants like a, a recap of what really, you know, went on the whole time because she, you know, wasn't present for mm-hmm. all of it. And she just wants to talk about it. And she tells Abby that, um, I'm just going to read from here because I don't remember all the exact words. She says, I love you, Abby. You're my best friend and my mirror and my reflection. And you are me and you are everything I love and everything I hate. And I will never give up on you. And I think that just like sums up their whole, their whole relationship. And that's like a really beautiful thing to have a friend like that. And Abby had said something similar to Gretchen, right? When she came out of her demon possession. And so it's just, it's really, really Really it really but, was, you know, and I feel like it's a somewhat surprising ending because a lot of the book is so horrific for it to end on such a like really sweet, poignant moment. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really, like Jody said, the the whole point of the book is about the the bond that these these two friends have, and that's where it ended was on the bond that these two friends have. Yeah, it started, you know, when they were, what, 10, like fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the way until yeah. Abby was in her 80s, right? So, I mean, that's a really long time. And I don't think most people can say that they would, you know, stay friends with someone they were friends with in fourth grade. Um, 
that tightly anyway. Um, and they, you know, they went through the ringer <laughs> together. They so, really did. They you know, really did. Abby risked her whole life to save Gretchen, and she never gave up on Gretchen. Gretchen. And, um, you know, no. no one else had stepped in and tried to help her. Gretchen's parents, 1,000% useless. Um, and who knows what would have happened if Abby hadn't saved Gretchen. How many people would have ultimately died um, because mm. of all the evil things Gretchen was doing? And, you know, where would Gretchen have ended up? And where would Abby have ended up? She, you know, in jail or like a troubled home for teens or, you know, her mm-hmm. whole life would have been ruined. So it was very sweet. It would have. I mean, and there's humor in there to lighten some of the really dark parts, which is cool, as, you know, Grady Hendrix always does with his quirkiness. Um, but yeah. the nostalgia is fabulous. Um, all those things. I remember even like the Benetton perfume, which is, you know, super 80s reference. Um, it's very cool. And then I love this, you know, his little inserts, you know, the news articles, the pamphlets, the yearbook um, pages. Up mm-hmm. And yeah, all very cool. Yes. The, I love the cover. Which I did the read. Book. The cover's fabulous. Yeah, I did read that the cover is an act, like, is Grady Hendrick's high school yearbook. <laughs> the cover. That's, that makes it even better. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, and I did. I I did find the word for Christian. He has the power of discernment. Discernment. Brother Lemon. Perception the, was close, but discernment. Brother Lemon and the power of discernment. Discernment. Oh, Christian Lemon. Brother Lemon's what was it? Christ and fitness or something like that. Yeah, or something, or something like that. Like that. Their pamphlet is also in there with like the very 80s bodybuilder guy on the front. It was pretty funny. It was. I mean, he was a caricature in and of himself. It turned out he was a good guy at the heart of it. He was. He was. Doing what? Doing, you know, or trying to do a good thing in his own way. It was just, it was a very good, and, and the adults really just let everyone down. There was no good adults. Yeah. He was the only decent no. adult. Mm-hmm. He was. Absolutely. And in his own no, way, no. he, he did his best. Well, and her, well, and Abby's mom, you know, she stepped up, sort of. She, she tried. I mean, she's trying to provide for her family and didn't have as much time to give as she probably would have liked to. Yeah. But, you know, in their defense, it would, a lot of the stuff did seem like really far-fetched and crazy that was happening. And you're, I mean, it would have been hard to like wrap your brain around what was going on with your child. I don't think all parents would have immediately jumped to demon possession. (laughs) Even in the uh, satanic panic. Probably not. Yeah. Your go-to is going to be, oh, they're doing, yeah, oh, your go-to is going to be, oh, they're doing drugs. Mm -hmm. But to add to the, like, whole satanic panic thing, they did have that, like, urban myth about that house that they found Gretchen lost in. So that, you know, added to um, Abby's whole, maybe she's possessed thing. Yeah, yes, it did. Very cool. Really cool book. I enjoyed it. Molly Romano. 
Yes. Because in the beginning, and when she first started acting weird too, Gretchen, didn't she say something where they needed to dig, find her grave and dig her up or something and give her a proper Christian burial? Yeah. She did. did. Or it was going to get worse. And they didn't do it and it got worse. Because they didn't believe it because it was just like a a myth, an urban legend, supposedly. Mm -hmm. Like a weird, yeah, exactly. Like a weird urban legend kids tell each other to scare each other yeah margaret's parents may want to consider like getting rid of that building (laughs) on their land you know probably (laughs) maybe they should Uh, seems like a hazard yes it was a hazard that was my best friend's exorcism we hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did and we hope you come back next month when we talk about another book and it's true crime counterpart we are now offering chromebooks and hotspots including charging cables for checkout all kits come with an easy to carry bag and are available at your nearest ssj cpl branch check for availability by calling 209-937-8221 or check out the online catalog at ssjcpl.org. To stay up to date with library news, follow us at ssjcpl on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit our website at ssjcpl.org.